Hi, I'm Joseph Pack, and welcome to The War on Attention, where we try to answer the question, can you manage ADHD drug-free? On today's episode, I'm speaking with Helen Pengeli, a meditation teacher who focuses on ADHD. Having ADHD herself, Helen realised that meditation was the way to free herself from the negative sides of this condition. She talks about her holistic ADHD roadmap, including meditation, sea swimming, healthy eating and coaching, and also later in life diagnosis. What really, really stuck out to me was her simple steps to using meditation for the ADHD brain. Now, as you probably know, I've been meditating for many years and I genuinely believe that meditation is the number one skill to learn or tool to use to help with ADHD. I really, really enjoyed this episode and I hope you do too. Okay, so you mentioned that you'd you read Gabor Mate's book, um, Scattered Minds. Was that was that before you were diagnosed ADHD? Yes, it was. Well, it was reading that book that I realised that I was nine, then ninety nine percent certain that I had it because it's like suddenly everything made sense. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Um, and 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 as you said, he. Some people think he he's a bit controversial, but. Um, but a lot of so much of what he said, you know, made sense because I'd read even before a lot about trauma. And um, I don't know if you've heard of David Trelevan, who's done a lot of work on trauma sensitive mindfulness. And um, and absolutely, especially because of his he was sharing his own story and how if um it's if your parents something traumatic happens when you're when you're young and that it can affect you and especially I think if you've got ADHD and you're more sensitive um yeah and absolutely it it made sense not that I had anything as traumatic happen as him but that uh, my my childhood was pretty normal I suppose mm. yeah I mean I think mine was I mean, my parents divorced when I was nine uh i can't really think of anything else traumatic that really happened but i mean i think he's bang on i think gabor mate is bang on and, and it is extremely controversial i think one part of it it's controversial because firstly it's not the common narrative mm. um and uh, the common narrative if i was being very cynical is driven by pharmaceutical companies and i've i'm not even going to say why i think that is because frankly i don't know i just have a hunch no. But also the um he says that the that ADHD is a genetic thing is not a stonewall fact, mm. as a lot of people believe. Mm. And he says that genetics can play a role in it. Um, but it's definitely not the cause. That's what he says. Yeah. And I think it's well it's it's more like it's epigenetics, isn't it, that you can have yeah. a gene but you don't necessarily then display the symptoms. It's like when it, he related it to the trauma that might have triggered that, and um, it can be say it can be the same with other things as well. Because I, I always say I got all my family's weird genes because I in two thousand and three 
yeah, I, I was diagnosed with celiac disease and I'd been going, been quite ill and I'd been going through quite a stressful time. And I'm sure that played a part in that as well. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So I think the, the thing, the one of the most controversial reasons or the reasons why people don't like Gabor Mate's theory is because if it is, if there's a gene and trauma or some experience triggers it and turns mm. it into ADHD or turns it into the negative side of it, then therefore, in theory, ADHD could be reversible. Yeah. And most people, and I do, I think most people, identify so deeply with the label of ADHD that it becomes literally like part of their soul and i don't think that's very healthy <laughs> uh, and uh, definitely in, in to the the conversation we've been having around meditation yeah well I, exactly because the whole you know thing point that the buddha realized that um when he became enlightened that we create this self which is just an illusion which is a combination of our conditioning our thoughts our beliefs and we create this kind of persona, which is a complete, yeah, it's a complete falsehood. And you just see that. Distortion when you of reality, yeah. isn't it? You know, I just get so fed up with some of these memes and things you see on Instagram and stuff. And everybody thinks, well, because I've got ADHD, I'm this, that and the other. I'm thinking, well, maybe, yeah, but you're that because you're human. There are people with ADHD who aren't like that. And a big one that I see quite a lot of is, oh, that they can't eat healthily and they can't cook. Well, I love cooking and I've always loved cooking. And <laughs> I think, well, I don't have a problem yeah. with that. I mean, sometimes it's no. difficult to get motivated, but I don't see that as because I've got ADHD. I think it's just sometimes I'm tired and it, it, I live on my own now. So it, it's just sometimes I think it would be nice to have somebody else to cook for me and I've just got to cook if I want to eat. And I just don't want to eat unhealthily. It's like, I think I saw one of your, it was on your email about all the stuff that goes in processed foods because when after I was diagnosed with celiac disease um then obviously that was a journey as well because I had a business for a while selling gluten-free food and then I learned so much about the food industry the pharmaceutical industry and another good book that's worth reading is by Janara I don't know how you say it Janara Nerenberg or something Divergent Minds which is, I mean, that's specifically more about neurodivergent women. But in that, she talks about the uh, the history of psychiatry and how that originally evolved out of um, gynecology and women's medicine because oh, really? women were deemed as being hysterical and and things like that. It's really interesting the whole the whole thing and 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 the stuff around around the drugs as well. It's like because that, that's been an interesting one, seeing what my response has been. I mean, my doctor didn't recommend them, but because of what I think about the pharmaceutical industry, I wouldn't want to take them anyway. But um, but it was, it was there was part of me that was curious to see what it would be like, what it would do to my brain. And then, of course, the Buddhist precept about not taking intoxicants. I'm thinking, well, what's the difference between that and, and drinking alcohol or taking heroin or something? Because mm. that is still have an effect on my mind and my brain and uh and it's just i mean not i mean obviously i'm not knocking modern medicine because there's a lot of good things as well but um 
but at the same time it's like I did a survey and there was somebody on that survey who said oh that he's so happy that he's got this medication because now he's because he used to drink and do drugs and but in my mind I'm thinking well you've just replaced that drug for a different one I don't see the yeah. difference and that might be a very controversial thing to say but and maybe it's a step in the right direction but it's still that kind of thing that people want to, to fix themselves and and I've read it's quite interesting reading people's experiences with, with the medication and about what happens when it wears off and thinking that there comes the um the samsara the dukkha the unsatisfactoriness that um that we, we that nothing's permanent and everything's constantly changing and it's about learning to be accept yourself the way you are rather than trying to sort of like become this kind of fixed person who's always organized and motivated and doesn't procrastinate <laughs> definitely i mean so when i first started getting deeper and deeper into let's call it spirituality rather than just meditation because for yeah. quite a while i did actually practice yoga um uh, shambhavi Mahamudra kriya yoga from Sadhguru, and he was talking about any type of intoxicant even caffeine even this yeah. is going to sound crazy to some people but even onions and garlic now i do eat on onions and garlic i'm not prescribing to this lifestyle but even those those material that food can mess up your system mm. and um that's famously like the vedic diet yeah and um so any so i was looking at that through the lens of adhd medication as well and thinking mm. there's no way that I would be able to reach the highest states that I was looking for if I was taking ADHD medication. No. And and I can't even, if I drink, so I have not drunk coffee for years now, but when I used to drink coffee and try and meditate, I mean, it was difficult to even get into it. I, I couldn't even follow the breath at times. <laughs> well, I don't, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, I don't like coffee anyway, but you know, because during that first week after I'd read that book, Gabo Marte's book, I read that over a weekend. And I think, you know, typical ADHD hyperfocus, read about four books in a week. And and there was another book that I read. I can't remember what it was called now. But in there, she said um, that some of her, she was, a, I think she had ADHD herself when she was a therapist in the States. And she, some of her clients, when they went on medication, they kind of, they they stopped caring about the environment and things like that you know they lost that kind of spiritual part of themselves which is really interesting because it because it, obviously Gabo Mate talks about the higher purpose of ADHD as well and it's like when you look at other neurodivergent people like um what's his name Packham and yeah. Uh, uh, these sort of big environmental campaigners, you know, they're neurodivergent. So it's like, is there something about these people that are like speaking the truth that's making other people uncomfortable as well? Mm, that's a very, very good point that you make there, actually. Um, so you talk a lot about um, later in life ADHD diagnosis. And mm. that's very, very different 
So I was actually diagnosed at 27, which I wouldn't necessarily consider later in life diagnosis, but it's, I, I believe it's very different from being diagnosed as like a seven-year-old, for example. Yes. So yeah. um, is there anything like specific in that later in life diagnosis that you could share with the listener? Yeah, well, for me, it was, it's like there was, well, I had to go through like the whole grieving process because I'm thinking, well, it's it's all relative, isn't it? It's like I've had, you know, I was 58 when I was diagnosed and then you hear about people who are diagnosed in their 70s. It's like, well, I wish I was diagnosed when I was 58. And then I hear people who were diagnosed when they're 50. I'm thinking, God, how different would my life be if I'd been diagnosed even when I was 50? But, you, it's, but then you just have to go, you have to let it go. Not easy, but it it's kind of that um, that that sort of not being enoughness kind of thing comparing to other people, and, uh, and and as I said, that was kind of what led me to sort of. I mean, I li- literally did. I prayed for answers. I said, "What is happening? What's happening?" And then this little voice in my head literally just said, "ADHD." What you know? Because all I, because I used to be a teacher, and really all I knew about ADHD was like the stereotypical hyperactive boys. And then, of course, then I saw this stuff about Gabriel Mate, read the book, and yeah, then it all made sense. But um, but like you were saying about when you started to meditate because you were like burning out, and I could look back over my life and see all the times when I just burnt out, and sort of it had sort of like mental health crises and and things like that and again happened last year but there again it's it's our modern kind of medicine thing um oh gosh several years ago now I came across this guy he's he's an African shaman and he's Maladoma his name is and he and I read this article, it was called What an African Shaman Sees When He Goes Into an American Mental Hospital. And he said these people, you know, that are being hospitalised and things like that, he said, but they're having a spiritual awakening and we're not, and, and we're just giving them drugs and instead uh, of sort of supporting them through that because we don't know how to do that anymore. Uh, and so he took one guy back to... Um, a young man who was about 21 who'd been diagnosed with schizophrenia and took him back to America, um, Africa. And and then he went back and sort of he's now helping other people. Um, and and I've, I really felt that myself is that we don't allow people that time to process, you know, for myself, like last year, it, it's like I've suddenly got all these years of stuff process and healing to do and but in our society there's so much pressure on people you've got to get a job and you've got to do this and not allowing people that space Uh, and that causes problems too (laughs) so if you've been diagnosed late in life it's likely that you've lived your entire life with an element of shame Mm. um, from having potentially failed at certain things or not being as good as other people at certain things or maybe being told that you're not very good at certain things so I mean, that's a hell of a lot to deal with, isn't it? It is. And and, and and also, it's not so much other people telling you that you're not good at certain things. It's, it's what you've been telling yourself. Well, I, you know, all the shoulds. Well, I should be further on in my life. I I should have a... Why have I never been able to 
really get a have a successful career or a well-paid job and um and i know a lot of it is and sort of letting go of that um well it, it's it's very much an ableist thing isn't it it's like that we put value on people by by what 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 they can can contribute to society in terms of work and how much money yep. they earn and things like that instead of just valuing people for who they being. are and just being being human beings and just well, that goes right. back to this buddhist yeah teacher or meditation teacher that said to you you don't have to believe what the mind is telling you exactly exactly and that's uh, where meditation is so powerful for people with adhd yeah because there's a few people that have reached out to me on linkedin that said that i can't even remember how old they are but they're i think they're over 60 they'd been mm. diagnosed adhd and they couldn't even they couldn't even access the medication even if they wanted to no. So there were, I mean, that's a good thing, in my opinion. Well, it is. And I told them that, and I just pointed them Im- immediately in the direction of meditation. Yeah. Well, that was it. I mean, that was one of the reasons, you know, my when I was diagnosed as a psychiatrist, didn't recommend medication because of the side effects, raising your blood pressure. And he said, well, you've managed all this time without it. And I'm just thinking, well, even if maybe... You want to take it initially it can't be a long-term solution um because even if you're younger when you start taking it it's like if you're taking it for years it's going to have that continue those all those effects are just going to build up and build up and build up and you're at some point you're going to get to a point where you can't take it anymore anyway so why not learn other ways mm. um you it, can't it, you're it, not actually dealing with the problem are you no it's basically like the medication is like a mask that's being put over to hide what's really wrong. Like, if you will, I don't yeah. necessarily want to use the word wrong, but no. Um, but but then you're just not dealing with it. No. And I've I've spoken with so a lot of the people that speak with me, they're actually people that are in their mid twenties, men usually. They've been taking medication since they're about ten, and they quite literally can't get out of bed in the morning without it. And mm-hmm. they want to do anything they possibly can to get off it. And and people in the ADHD community are telling me that those medications are not addictive. Well, what I'm seeing with my own eyes again and again is men not much younger than me addicted to, to the medication. Yeah. And and I think, oh, I say it's not addictive. Maybe it's not in some ways, but they, but the effect it's had on them that they, believe that they can't function without it and they're again it's this thing about oh, well I've got no value if I can't go out to work and you know I, I'm I've got three sons and my youngest he's well he'd be 26 in a couple of weeks and I'm pretty sure that he has ADHD and he says that as well but I think because uh, when I was a teacher I was naturally um, kids who didn't fit in were naturally drawn to me anyway. Uh, and w- when he was at school, he had a difficult time at school. And a lot of that was because he was in the top sets and they were trying to sort of push him down this academic route. But all he wanted to do was be a carpenter. And I said, well, why don't you send him on a vocational course and he won't be disrupting your lessons? But the but they wouldn't do that. Uh, and now he, uh, I mean, at school when he was at school, these teachers you know it's awful really the things that they Mm. said that oh that he would never be successful he wouldn't be able to get a job if he didn't get his GCSEs and now he's 
he's on he's earning about 70 grand a year he builds loft extensions and he built his first loft extension two years ago he'd never done one before well he'd done one when he was an apprentice but did it on his own he's like 23 and I think and, and I'm thinking you're probably earning twice as much as most of your teachers now because I just wouldn't let I said you you don't listen to them you just follow your heart I suppose that's the advantage of having a mum who's a coach but yeah yeah exactly but, like, but, <laughs> but I mean but for a lot of kids they're not lucky you know and for myself as well gosh I think gosh just imagine if my parents had said that when I was at school you know I saw something as well um somebody said that people with ADHD are recovering class because <laughs> I yeah, was always like the, right. the class clown and I was thinking you know well nobody ever said to me oh Helen White you could be a comedian nobody said that today because you know you've got to you've got to get you well O levels in my day but um into yeah. sort of encouraging our talents and what we're good at and yeah exactly you know my mum I'm so so thankful that my mum is my mum actually because mm. she never ever pushed us to do anything we didn't want to do when we were kids and she probably I mean again I wasn't diagnosed ADHD until I was 27 and yeah. part of the reason why I was probably not diagnosed is because no because I was sort of given the freedom to do what I wanted to do mm. um and, and find the boxes I fit into yeah no, like for context I I I got four and a half GCSEs. Yeah. <laughs> Awful in an academic perspective. But by 22 years old, I owned my own business with multiple employees and had a hell of a lot more money than anybody else in my year. Yeah. Who were all just at university eating beans out of a can. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But no. the point was school were constantly telling me that I was going to fail. But because my mum was just wasn't having any of it I just didn't yeah. listen to the teachers I didn't care what they said it was yeah. irrelevant to me frankly well, now, I, I can't imagine what it must have been like to be in another situation where my parents perhaps had not been like that that would have been very um, difficult I know as I say with my son that's me and but there again it was different when I was young and I'm not and I it's just society and the way you're brought up I went to grammar school so it was it was like that you were expected to be it was an all girls school you were expected to be, to be like a young lady and be good and stuff like that and it was just you know an ADHD wasn't a thing then anyway so there's no point in, <laughs> in getting upset and angry about it although I did no, of first, course but you have to just process all that and then just move past it and just say well everyone was doing their best they didn't know any better so um just be grateful that I've well I think you know also that I trusted my intuition enough to keep up with the meditation because it it's seen me through some very difficult times and even after I just I started meditating my oldest son had got involved with drugs and stuff but there was something in me that kept going with the meditation because that's another thing you see a lot of people they'll they don't when I was running some classes locally and they get people, well, I can't come this week because my mum's in hospital or somebody's just died. And then it's like, it's thinking, well, that's when, that's why you need to come. Yeah, <laughs> this like, is the most critical time. The thing is with meditation, it's like, it doesn't make all your problems go away. It doesn't make things stop happening, but it gives you that, it gives it, you become like a bigger container and you can hold more and you can deal with more. And so, 
and I think especially for people with ADHD we do have a lot to deal with at the moment because the world isn't set up in our favour I mean things are changing slowly but it gives you those tools to just to be able to to deal with it and navigate life a bit more easily yeah I mean definitely I I, what I tend to do is I'll meditate twice a day sometimes Mm. up to an hour in total for the whole day yeah and that's training it's like my doing scales on the piano is the way I think about it uh because during the day things are gonna happen that I don't want to happen that are against Mm. my preferences and I can fight with reality which and I will lose 100% of the time yeah or I can let go of my pain of my thoughts if you will so if a thought arises saying you know I really don't want to do this piece of work right now that's that's the brain talking the mind talking again you know as you said mm-hmm. I don't have to listen to it so I just go back to the breath again feel it in my nostrils and on on the top of my lip and then just let that thought be if it wants to keep coming back it can keep coming back but I'm just going to let it go and I'm not going to respond to it I'm mm-hmm. not going to repress it and I'm not going to express it and I feel genuinely like the process of doing this over and over again is actually liberating me. Yeah. And, <laughs> that's and the that's, best way I'd describe it. And that's key what you just said about not repressing it because that's the problem. And I think that's what happened to me last year. It's like, although I hadn't been repressing things as much as probably a lot of people do at the same time, you know, eventually it's going to build up and it's build up. And if the more you repress it, you do that pressure just builds up and then suddenly it's got to come out somehow. And that might come out in terms of a, of a breakdown or something, or it might manifest as a physical illness like cancer or something. So it's, it's a, it's about acknowledging what's there and not trying to push it away. And, um, but as you say, you don't have to believe it. And also at the, some, at the same time, sometimes it can be really overwhelming and maybe you don't want to do the thing that, that you think you're supposed to be doing and and you just want to sit on the sofa for a bit. And, and that's okay too. And you're not lazy. And just to, I just said to people, just give yourself a break, you know, and to remind that to myself as well. And that's the thing that I've learned as well, just to be so much kinder to myself. It's have days when I just feel overwhelmed and I don't know where to begin and I feel like at the end of the day well I didn't do half the things I set out to do that's fine you know I'm just gonna let it go now I'm just gonna be kind to myself and not gonna beat myself up over it it's just, yeah it's just a wonderful way of looking at life in general isn't it to be honest yeah yeah I mean you, you so you've spoken quite a bit about um that you know obviously you're not you're not taking the medication you were never really going to, um, but then you've developed this holistic ADHD roadmap, really. So mm. I'd love to hear more about that, especially around your sea swimming and your, your healthy eating. Yeah, well, well, really, it, it kind of, because I, I did a survey and um, to see what really what people's biggest challenges were around ADHD. And a lot of it is about not achieving their goals or, procrastinating or getting the motivation to do things and um, so earlier this year I suppose having you know found out that I've got ADHD and now understanding how my brain works and how in the past had lots of ideas and 
I'd start this and wouldn't finish it. And, and so I just thought, right, I'm just going to focus all, on, on meditation now because all these things, everything challenge that somebody says that they have, I can see <laughs> how meditation can help that. And, um, yeah, and, and that, well, the healthy eating, that, I mean, I, I've, I've always eaten pretty well anyway, but because I've always loved cooking and um and I, I do I do a lot of cooking and I volunteer at a retreat center where I go and cook as well, which is really great. It's why I get to go on so many retreats. And um and for me as well, because obviously you they say people with ADHD are generally very creative and for me cooking, that's my creative outlet as well. And I've always when I was a child I was when I was at school we used they used to the head teacher used to come around and make us eat our dinners and so I used to swap my meat for everybody else's cabbage because <laughs> I always loved oh, really? vegetables <laughs> so I've always liked um cooking and I I've liked vegetables and healthy food anyway so but um but so healthy like, eating can't it i mean the the importance of healthy eating can't be understated on the oh no. impact of adhd can it no it can't and also well it was when after i um after i was diagnosed with celiac disease and when i had set up the business selling gluten-free food because there wasn't much in the supermarkets back then and also i wanted to sell stuff that was better quality and had more natural ingredients in it than the stuff that was in the supermarkets and and what i i because when I was diagnosed, I was actually relieved to find out what it was because I'd been ill for so long. And I thought, oh, OK, now I know what I need to do, change my diet and everything's going to be OK. Because my grandfather had it as well. So I knew what it was but for, for a lot of people. And again, that's often something that's not diagnosed until later in life. I think most people are over 40. I mean, I just turned 40 when I was diagnosed. And um, but what I realised was that most people hadn't taken to it as well as me and the and I learned as well as sort of like the big food industry the big pharmaceutical industry I also learned a lot about the big charities as well because um, the major charity for celiac, celiac UK had <laughs> got into quite a few sort of same discussions shall we say with the CEO because I said you've got all this wrong I said all this stuff that you're telling them to eat I said it's crap you know it's sort of additives and all this stuff that they shouldn't be eating it's not good for their health you should be helping them to eat healthily but then I realized these big companies are giving them all the money so, <laughs> so if they're not this is it exact yeah. same thing that happens in the pharmaceutical yeah. industry isn't and it? So what like... um happened what i realized most people because when i had business they'd phone me up and then you know they'd want to find out about what i'm selling or whatever but a lot of it they just wanted to talk to somebody who understood i said a lot of this is just it's like um, and then i understood about emotional eating oh i said all they're looking for are like gluten-free replacements for all the crap that they ate before like cakes and biscuits and stuff like that whereas instead we should be helping them to think about a different way of eating and but they didn't kind of get that so i was vegan for years and mm. that's literally the exact same thing that happens with vegan food isn't it mm. in the supermarkets it's just fake versions of meat but the, yes. if you look at the ingredients in 99 percent of that food it's eye-watering yeah. <laughs> it's awful yeah it's just factory made crap basically yeah, because uh, really, I mean, it's quite easy to be vegan. I mean, I'm 99% vegan, but I eat things like, you know, pulses, vegetables and 
things like that. You don't need all that crap. You get all your protein from from vegetables and, and beans and yeah. But anyway, but I, I, but it's it, being are, vegan actually. So I'm vegetarian now. I yeah. would say, but I, we're like ninety five percent plant based diet yeah. as a family. Yeah, and um, being vegan though rather than just vegetarian, it makes it, up until three or four years ago, it mm. made it very difficult to eat unhealthy foods. Yes. Because you couldn't eat really any of the chocolates that were in the supermarket. There were yes. like so many different types of crisps that have milk in. Mm. Um, you know, but now, now you've got an in- entire aisle just of like basically vegan junk food. So it's yes. changed. And yeah. now you have to really be careful about how, you know, what you cook and what you put in your food. Yeah. Um, I've been very, very fortunate because my wife, Kaylee, she is a fantastic cook and she really, really understands what needs to go in each dish to make sure we're getting all of our proteins and carbohydrates and fiber, especially fiber. Yeah. And I think it's been, that's been a huge contributor to me, me being able to manage my ADHD without any medication. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I say I'm, I, yeah, my diet, I'm not completely vegan. Well, I don't eat any meat, but because I'm celiac as well, sometimes when I'm out, I do have dairy and eggs. But at home, I don't. But it's yeah, but it's 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 not not difficult when you know what you're doing. No. Yeah, exactly. So, is there somewhere that people can go and learn about those dishes that you, that you talk about there? Well, maybe I should. I know I've had I've been asked about that before about recipes and things, but. Again, there you go. There's else. a thing. Something so else I get asked do. about that all the time. And yeah. It's not really my focus. Um, no. Some well, of the most best performing posts I write tend to be about food. Right. Yeah. Well, well I don't um, really post much about food because, again, it's something else to think about. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, well, I am getting somebody, I need to speak to her this week, who's going to be doing all my social media and stuff for me because I just don't want to be doing that. It just takes up. To, and I think I don't know whether that's been getting older. I just don't have as much energy to be able to do it all. And I think you know it's it's more important for for me to get somebody to do that so I can just turn up and focus on yeah that's the on right what thing I'm good at. So I can teach people about meditation, do my coaching. I mean, eventually, let's hope next year. Um, I want to start running retreats for people with ADHD because there's nothing like that out there at the moment. And I think that would definitely be part of that would be would be healthy eating because I love cooking myself and you can make it fun and, um, and show people that it doesn't have to be a chore and it can be fun as well. I mean, like chopping so veg I'm, is quite therapeutic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that you'd be obviously you'd be teaching meditation at those retreats. And yeah. and I wondered if you could talk about how you make meditation conducive to the ADHD brain. Right. Well, um, well, we, we sort of talked about that a lot already, that it's about um, a lot of it is acceptance, not expecting your thoughts to go away. And one thing that I do now a lot is that I notice it's quite um hard sometimes to sit still but then you realize well that's just my mind I don't have to move just because my mind is telling me that I should and then just being with that and just 
I use um, Insight Timer app on my phone, which is great for people with ADHD because it gives you stars um, for that little dopamine hit. And um, so, so I, I think for me, it, it's it's like working with whatever's coming up, whatever thoughts are coming up, whatever feelings, emotions. I've been through that very some very difficult emotional times. Um, Thing I learned from another Buddhist teacher called Vasantra, and he's written well, he's written a lot of stuff on like Tibetan Buddhism and stuff. And um, uh, it, it was called Unhooking, and that is really good for people with ADHD because we feel things quite deeply and can get quite emotional. And it's about learning to let go of the stories behind that feeling. Um, I was going through, I it was a difficult time of um, RSD rejection sensitive dysphoria didn't know that's what it was at the time but now when I look back I can see that it was and I was on this 10-day retreat and I just could feel all these feelings coming up and now when I was meditating and then it was just then letting go of all the thoughts and stories about it and then realizing it was just a sensation in my chest and all the other stuff is just stories that we add on to it and all the memories that we associate with that feeling so it's like getting underneath all of that and I and on that it is is really helpful and you know and I've been through as I said before had some difficult mental health challenges I never actually done it but had like thoughts of self-harm and things like that um, like wanting to stick knives sorry bigger warning here wanting to stick knives in my arms or things like that and then I would just realize that it was just a sensation in my arms if I let go of all the thoughts around it so um and again if um as David Trelevan says in his book about trauma sensitive mindfulness it's like you might if you these thoughts come up you don't have to sit with them. If you find it really difficult, go and get help. <laughs> and, I, and I just want to add that meditation, mindfulness, is not all unicorns and rainbows, as it is often promoted. It's about being with whatever's there, whatever's present, even the bits that you find difficult and that you don't like. And I know that that's why I said before about realising about the challenging times is when I needed to meditate more, that I perhaps I've been maybe from previous lifetimes or whatever what I've worked on that I'm I can do that I can go through all the difficult stuff but you don't if it's difficult you don't have to sit there and re-traumatize yourself that's not what it's about (laughs) exactly you know I often guide people in the direction of mantra um, or transcendental meditations for ADHD because or only when they've told me that they absolutely cannot meditate but the problem mm. I find those meditations to not work for me because they actually stop me from being able to focus on the silence if you will yeah all the folk and then therefore I can't see I can't feel or have awareness of the separation between me mm. you know in the seat of consciousness if you will and the thought itself and therefore mm. I'm not getting what I want out of it, if you will. Because you mentioned something a second ago about what I would describe as like a purification of the mind. Mm. So like you've got things that you said, you were talking about wanting to stab knives in your arms, but then you were able to disassociate basically between that feeling, Mm. that thought and you. And going back to what you said earlier, which was you don't have to believe what the mind is telling you. Yeah. Uh, The problem that I've, I've found personally 
with more mantra based meditations and the use of meditation apps is that it actually distract me from being able to do that, which defeats the point yeah. for me. And I did use Headspace for about two years when I first started meditating. And I thought it was great that it sort of introduced me to meditation, but it mm. wasn't until one day where I couldn't find my phone. <laughs> Typical ADHD thing there. Yeah. But I, I wanted to sit down for my meditation that I just sat down and just meditated with no timer. And, and that lo- was like meditating a hundred times what I'd been doing with the app. Yeah. So have you got anything to say on that about app, no app get, you know, I think I know, I know your um, preference of doing it with a proper teacher. Yes. So well, I, I want to yeah. hear more on that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I say apps are great for supporting your practice, but they're no substitute for a teacher. So I like, as I said, I like Insight Timer. I don't do the guided meditations on there. I literally just use it as a time as a timer. So if I'm doing, like, say, the Metabhavna, which is like a five-stage meditation, you can. It's good because it you can set the bells to go off every five or ten minutes, and then that there are times obviously where my mind will wander off, and I'll be planning sort of like next week's meals or what I'm going to post on social media later or something like that but then it just and it brings me back and I find that really helpful but but yeah as you say that it's it's no substitute for a teacher and but it it's a bit of a minefield as well because it it's really obviously it's trusting your your gut about this person regardless of what they say their accreditations are because that doesn't mean anything um they might have just gone and done a six-week course, and all that means is that they paid some money to somebody to become accredited. It doesn't mean anything at all. I'm not accredited, and none of the teachers that I've had have been accredited because we've we've lived through it. We put it into practice every single day in our lives, and that's that's what you need to look for in a teacher. You know, I've I've learned from say Buddhist teachers, and they learned from Buddhist teachers going all the way back to the Buddha. So. Um, and I think really, you, you if you're finding a teacher, you need to ask them how long they've been meditating, and if they've been meditating for less than ten years, walk away, really, yeah, um, yeah. because they you you can't teach it until you know some of these courses. I mean, I as I say, I used to be a teacher. I've upset a lot of people in my time. I think that's an ADHD thing as well. And they got, I went to a conference about uh, mindfulness in schools and they had the guys there who'd set up the mindfulness in school project. And I just sort of pulled them up on that. Look, because I know actually I've met a lot of people on retreats uh, who have come away from that because they just like, they're so contrived and it's not really, really very helpful um, because some of them have been into schools and there's the teachers telling the kids off because they're not sitting still and meditating. Well, you don't understand, you just don't get the point of it because you can go and do these courses when you only have to be meditating for 18 months or something. And, I, you know, while the intention behind it is good um, and it would be brilliant to get more mindfulness and meditation in schools, it's like, unless you're doing it properly, I've seen, I saw it somewhere, I saw that, they it said it's, I like this phrase, ineffective at best. And also, if you've got inexperienced <laughs> teachers, I like that. 
that don't understand, like I said before, about the trauma side of it, um, and they haven't worked through their own stuff, then, you know, they won't be able to, to hold the space or know what to do when this happens. This could happen to people in their, in their classes. And that's exactly. what concerns me more than any, anything else. It, it's, it's like that they could be sitting there and somebody could, you know, some traumatic memory comes up and they think that they're doing it wrong or whatever. And you should be able to sit with that and, but you don't have to, you know, maybe this means you've got to go and see a therapist, you know, that's perfectly valid as well. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you, but you need support. <laughs> it's like you go on LinkedIn or you go on any social media and you'll come across some profile that says award-winning meditation teacher. And in that, in itself, in that moment, I always imagine what the Buddha's reaction would be to that. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like... Um, and, and uh, who's it, given the award out? That's what I exactly, want to Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And and who who's accredited it? And who accredited the person who's doing the accrediting? And, you know, there's um, oh, something I read about that recently. I can't remember what it's called now. But, yeah, it's a similar kind of thing. It, it, it's like, oh, is it something about standing on turtles or something? And then it's like, well, there's got, you, you know, turtles standing on a turtle and then there's one right at the bottom or something oh, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. yeah. It's like, well, who accredited them and who accredited them? You know, somebody Turtles just Turtles all the way down, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Somebody yeah. just made yeah. it up. Once mm-hmm. they're, oh, well, you know, I could do that. I could set up a business accrediting meditation teachers and make, probably make a lot of money out of it. But mm-hmm. that wouldn't really be very ethical. <laughs> no. Not considering that, so, for example, like if a pass in a meditation retreat is free. Yes. And you're there for 10 days and you get fed. Yeah. Uh, and it's funded by donations, isn't it? Yeah. So um, that signals to me, at least, that I can trust this organisation. Yes. Yeah. If I'm having to pay thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds to go to a 10-day retreat or something, Mm. I'm not trusting it. (laughs) No, and a lot of them, they're not even proper retreats. It's like you're going to this fancy hotel um, and all this thinking, well, that's that's just really okay, you want to be a bit comfortable, but at the same time, you're going to be going through some difficult stuff. Yeah, you want to be comfortable. You want to get your food. And I think, you know, a lot of the Buddhist retreat centres, um, yeah, you have to pay, but it's not thousands. It's it's hundreds. And obviously they they don't exclude people who can't afford it. They will make, you know, so we'll get in touch. And because there are people who can afford to pay more who will make donations. But um but but that's it. it it's it's like you're not nobody's excluded because because they can't afford it so where do you recommend that um someone with adhd starts with meditation then well um they can go to my youtube channel here with helen um for one thing if they want they can get in touch with me or go to their local buddhist center there's they're all around the country just go online and find where it is and there's um and I think especially since lockdown, a lot of them are doing things online as well on Zoom and stuff. So it it's, um, yeah, I would say definitely if you want to start, you need to find a teacher. Um, Brilliant. They don't necessarily have to be uh, an ADHD meditation teacher. It's got to be somebody, like I said, who's, who, who's experienced and... Um, and who who who's worked through through their own stuff 
and and that you just get a good feeling about really just try to trust your feelings you know it, it's not a, everybody's you know there's some teachers that don't really work for me but other people love so it's a personal thing great and you mentioned your youtube channel there is there anywhere else that people can find out about you well uh i'm just having a new website built at the moment so that will be coming up hopefully in the next few weeks that will be heal with helen.com so or you can email me there's lots of h's here hello at heal with helen.com as well or find me on linkedin helen pengeli or instagram adhd mindfulness queen amazing so people can ask you questions about meditation about healthy eating about yeah uh, are you an eft practitioner yes i am i do as well yes the tapping yeah because i got into that well i told about it a few years ago and then it was just before the first lockdown actually and i'd been going through a really difficult time myself and I can see now when I look back it was probably ADHD stuff coming up because I've I've heard as well that often it's misdiagnosed as bipolar disorder and I at that point I'd seen this television drama about a woman with bipolar disorder and I think well I'm like that sometimes I've got bipolar disorder and at the same time the um the tapping summit was on every it's on every year and um and I listened to that and it really, really helped me. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to go and train to be a practitioner. And then I was supposed to be going and doing it live. Uh, but then that was the first weekend, literally the first weekend of lockdown. So that was cancelled. So I did what did an online one instead. And and that is really great for, way, for emotional regulation. Um, and what I like about it as well, that it's simple to do. And, and also... Um, it's all backed by science. Um, I, I did a couple of summits last year and I interviewed a lady. She's Australian, Dr. Peter Stapleton. That's P-E-T-A. He spells it Peter Stapleton, who's done all the... I've heard of her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's done all the all, lots of research on it and brain scans and what happens to people after they've done it because it all works on the at pressure points. And then I was very impressed when I interviewed her. She she did all the brain scans for Joe Dispenza as well. So um, so yeah, so she's definitely it, it's definitely legit all the stuff that she's done around it, all the science. And because um, because that's it. I mean, a lot of it like meditation and that for years. Okay, people thousands of years people have known how it works, but of course, it now people, especially in the West, tend to be a bit more skeptical and they like oh we. They want all the, the evidence to prove why it works. And, and we've got all that now, which is absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, so I haven't posted many EFT meditations on my YouTube channel recently, but there are some on there. That's something I need to get back into doing as well, because I had a bit of a break from YouTube. And at the moment, I'm just doing meditations. But but there are some on there and explaining about the tapping points and things like that. But also there's lots of stuff about it out there on the web and um and I, I can also help you with a person anything personal and um, personalize it to whatever it is that you're that you need to 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 deal with really wonderful well thank you so much for coming on it was really great to hear and learn everything about meditation for people with adhd thank you joe thank you for inviting me